All right. So I think there are. Basically... I did see, by the way, just real quick uh, on Twitter, someone was talking about the new thing is to put a funny background when you do video. You have that. I don't. I'm in like a blank conference room. Well, how's this funny though? Because you have pictures. Oh, like an entertaining. Yeah, something quirky instead of just a white wall. Yeah, like you're clearly in a booth. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. Base camp. Well, I think, okay, so I think there are two things, right? So base camp, so much of the marketing that they did in my opinion, was behind like the power of DHH creating rails, like his public following, his persona, Jason. Like I remember sitting at a hedge fund in 2008, like being like, I have to get out of this. I can't do this anymore. And watching Gary Vee and Jason and a few other guys, I think it was at like big Omaha. And like I had it on and I like was like ducked in the corner secretly listening to these guys. And I was like, yes, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to be like them. And so much of like, I feel like Basecamp's early success was built on the public persona and books and thought leadership of those two founders. Right. And they had already like, I think that before they even launched the product or in concert with launching the product, they'd made themselves thought leaders and people that were really respected. Was Whereas that like, before, uh, like that interview, was that before, what year was that? 2008, 2009. Oh, okay. okay. So Basecamp was in the wild. It wasn't like this was pre. It was not pre-Basecamp. I mean, he was clearly like at this conference, like as the founder of Basecamp. Mm-hmm. And making like pretty bold, maybe we'll dig it up, but like making pretty bold comments about, you know, working a job versus being an independent and like what it meant to be a creative. And I don't know, he came off as someone with a very strong personality. Like that was my take, but I thought it was really interesting, but it was very clear that like he had a following and that so much. And, and I think they're books, right? Like so much of the base camp zeitgeist, at least at first was driven by DHH and Jason and them talking and having a point of view and being outrageous and making a lot of noise themselves. So I think that's like one kind of marketing. Um, and then I look at like MailChimp and nobody knew for so long who Ben Chestnut and Dan Curzius were. Right. Yeah. Like who even still it's like who like they're, they're so quiet. They strike me as pretty humble. Um, MailChimp itself has an amazing brand. Um, the, they never really, it wasn't like they wrote blogs. I mean, they do write a blog and Ben's wrote, written some amazing blog pieces. A lot of, most of them are in relation to the strategy of the company. Right. I mean, I, I don't think Ben has a blog and Dan certainly I don't know if they have a blog. They're both incredibly creative people in the world, which is also super interesting to me. Um, but MailChimp, I think, grew. My understanding is most of their growth came from AdWords. So like 2012, 2013, 2014. Like 
and they really started to explode. I mean, they probably are at that point, we're already a 60, $70 million company, but like, I think from 40, 50, 60 million to like three, 400, 500, now almost a billion in revenue. I think a lot of that was driven at first by like a really thought out marketing strategy. Um, whereas I think Basecamp was much more after true. years though. Isn't the story that they, it was four or five years and then finally they said, oh, this is significant. Right. So figure out how to market it. Yeah, I think so. If I, I like, I think the story is 2001 ish, 2002 to 2007, it was a part of their agency. Like even right. at, even at Pont city market today, when I walk into my office, if you look like fifth floor, which by the way, MailChimp now has like six floors of Ponce, which is insane. They're basically on every floor they have space because they're growing so quickly. Because And like you see people going up and down between the floors. But when you walk in, it doesn't say MailChimp. It says Rocket Sciences Group. And that's clearly like, right. that's the name. Yeah, it's of like 37 group. signals. In that yeah, area. exactly. It's exactly like 37 signals. Um, And I think, but even then, I think for the first five years, they certainly weren't out talking about MailChimp. I think they just had this really great email marketing software and people were finding them because they were solving like a real problem at the time. That it was like hard if you weren't a designer, even if you were a designer, but you weren't a developer, it was hard to like build email newsletter software and deploy email newsletters that looked good, that didn't involve a ton of custom coding that could be delivered properly that fit into like all the protocols. Right. right? Um, and they had started to build something like that. And I mean, I think it took them also like a ton of time to figure out their pricing model and their acquisition model. But like they had, they probably were at like 60, 70. I imagine they were like at a hundred a month before they, or maybe 40 a month or 50 a month before they went full time. Cause they had a whole agency working for them. Right. I'm assuming the agency also became employees of MailChimp. But the larger point is that MailChimp and not in the way that I was describing earlier, where they went and like necessarily like built a brand or had like a huge marketing strategy, but they, they acquired in a different way. Yeah. As far as I can tell. Yeah. And I think it was mostly ad driven and then brand driven and then product driven. Right. Right. Well, the similar, it's interesting. I've never thought about the distinction between personality driven inbound, which would be the base camps of the world and ad driven inbound, which would be MailChimp. I mean, Shopify would be in the MailChimp category. Something like Gumroad seems to be at least today in the personality corner. Um, the similarity between both is the product has to be good. And if the product is bad, it's not going to work in either case. Right. I wonder if, um, I wish you, I wish MailChimp, if email marketing wasn't a thing and they were starting today, what they would do, like what's the quickest path to driving people to your site? People say ads are effective, but I think they say it at a certain point, right? It's, it's like you have to spend five or 10,000 a month to see returns is that i feel like i've heard that yeah you have to spend a decent amount i think and i mean 
I don't know what the number is. I, I'd guess 5K is your bottom tier bar. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if you spend 500 and get an account and the account has a lifetime value that's worth 500 bucks, then it might be worth it. So <clears throat> it might be more about like dollars in versus dollars back. Like you could run a test on ads with $1,000 a month. And if you can get a thousand impressions and three new accounts and the lifetime value of those accounts is well greater than the duration of your campaign. And theoretically you're getting right. Better. But right. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. So it's all this to say, I think when we've been talking about inbound, I mentally think about the base camp example of just okay. talking. And I think you're gravitating mentally just as a mental model toward the MailChimp model of a real funnel and not just a loosey goosey, like, Oh, we're going to be funny and people are going to love us. (laughs) Um, I may be overstating the MailChimp side too. Like I think they were trying to be funny and they drew like, I pretty sure Dan drew the Freddie, like, and they got t-shirts printed and sent them to all their customers. Like, I think the correlation between the two is that they were very authentic to themselves. And I think they just are different. They, they gravitated towards what worked for them. Yeah. I think Shopify is probably the most calculated of the three. It seems that way from that one podcast I heard um, where they were talking about they would do a test with online ads and then all the tests worked. And so they ended up going all in on that, but it took them a while to get to that point. I think my impression is they were doing between 50 and hundred a month before they tried advertising straight up SEO advertising. I'm also shocked in retrospect, how early they were when I was on their platform building a store Cause I, it's, I, I, when I was in high school, you're in your own little bubble, but didn't they launch in 04 or 05? If that, yeah. So I remember first making a Shopify store in between 07 and 08. And in my mind as this high school student, I, it was this amazing, like really well-built easiest place to build a store yeah. site. And it's funny now here, like that this retrospective now that's been over another decade since then how they probably are think oh what early times so they probably had 50 employees or something yeah. or less what were you selling t-shirts interesting yeah what did your t-shirts t-shirt business well i had a i had a um, did you ever find yourself on cafe press do you know what i'm talking about i do know i never used it they let you upload designs and then you have a little store Yeah, and people can find your store and buy your products or your designs and they screen printed and drop shipped all the stuff. Yeah. Most of our products were uh, like pop culture references. Most of the designs that we made, so like entourage references. Um, uh, I, I think Curb Your Enthusiasm was out then. There were some Larry David references. You couldn't use trademarked um, stuff. But there was that, I forget the show, but there's the character Big Black on an MTV show. He was like the bodyguard for a skateboarder. And he had this brand, it was called Big Black with two Bs. And 
he was a really popular, he was hilarious on the show. So we made a shirt with the two B's back and forth. And we, cause he wasn't selling shirts online at the time. Yeah. And we made, I think it was $6,000 in one month selling these BB shirts. And then we got a cease and desist letter from his attorneys. Wow. Shut it down. (laughs) (laughs) It was like six. Did they demand, did they demand your profits or no? No, no. Luckily not. We just got a letter that said he had an LLC set up to defend his trademark, obviously. Um, And yeah, we were like, well, we can't do that anymore. We were idiots. But that's so anyway, oh that was Cafe Press and He was on Robin Big. Robin Big, that's the show. Robin Big, because that was his name. And he was the bodyguard. He was the best part of the show. I remember the show. Yeah. yeah. That was our bestseller. And um oh, so but then this is a big guy. So that was all one at a time. Somebody ordered a shirt, Cafe Press printed it, Cafe Press shipped it. They handled everything. The interesting thing about their business was they gave you a store and you could theoretically buy your own ads and drive people to it. But 90% of the stuff we sold was just through the Cafe Press marketplace. And I highly de- So you spent all this time trying to make your store look pretty and make your store checkout flow cool and all these graphics, but no one ever went to your site. And we tried to run ads and stuff way back when, but I mean, probably a hundred dollars at a time. Like, I don't even think we spent enough to really see any sort of returns. Is that McCallum? Yes. McCallum going nuts at something. But then we got into screen printing and that's where Shopify came in. So we opened a store and we were going to screen print pocket tees and out of the pocket was going to be a hand and there's going to be different designs of hands and waving. That's cool. And we opened a Shopify store to sell that. I say we, this was me and my brother. Oh, nice. Yeah. So how did you find Shopify? You think? I had tried so many online stores and now I can't even remember what they're called. I'm sure it is somewhere WordPress. I'm sure I was trying to add a WooCommerce plugin and it was all really frustrating. Um, trying to get it all set up. Part of it might've come down to the payment processing. I'm trying to remember, but it maybe Shopify had built in payments at the time. And that was the easiest thing to do because hmm. I couldn't figure out how to, most other places you had to use PayPal. That was the only option. So anyway, I don't know how I found it, but when I did, I thought this is amazing because they had a standard template that was really simple and their liquid template language was really easy. So even as someone who couldn't program yet, it was easy to follow along the docs and see, oh, I can add in, I can edit this template to add in my own language. Oh, I forgot you couldn't program at that point. Yeah. Um, it wild to me that they were a younger company then than we are today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, I don't know how long they were working on it before they launched. Well, but they probably had raised money at that point. So they had, they had, yeah. So I guess there's two ways to think about it, right? They were a younger company in duration, but in terms of free cash flow, because they had an artificial cash flow from venture. They had 
the ability to to invest sooner in their product versus yeah. being bootstrapped it just takes longer it was probably simpler too than i remember now i mean now it's hard to re- it's clouded now because shopify is so complex but back then my sense is that it was pretty straightforward there wasn't a ton of complexity you had products those products were live or not live right i think you had inventory but it was not complex uh the checkout was standard you could bring your own template and they supported that and that yeah, really well built and designed but it wasn't i think if you were trying to launch an e-com a straight up shopify competitor today you would have so far to go relative to what their product was back in 2007 and it probably at the time felt like e-commerce was so saturated like how could we hundred percent and now maybe the flip side is even today we're not even near where e-commerce will be in 10 years maybe that's, that's the opportunity and yeah. that's probably our opportunity in a way right yeah well that- it, definitely part of ours is that shopify provides an amazing way to build a store and customize it and have this e-commerce experience but if you're looking for just a standard out of the box. I want it to look good from the beginning. Theoretically more simple, which I don't think we deliver on that today. (laughs) But theoretically, just I upload products and I have a splash page and I post that link and I start taking orders. Theoretically, Bottle is simpler than Shopify in that regard. There's just less moving parts. Yeah. I think if we hone our framework in just a little bit, make the use case just a little bit simpler, which we're already doing. That'll add a ton of value. Like, I mean, I even think about some of the demos we've done recently where we just did the setups. It was like so easy, right? Products, a banner store, um, set up your reminder nudges, one store, there's no complexity. I'm selling a beverage. Um, It's really easy to set that up. Yeah. No. Um, back to the marketing versus sales conversation. Cause as you were talking, I did think of one other reason to think like sales may is potentially a winning strategy or a strategy worth it continuing to, to invest in. And my, my thought is that, and this could be the wrong thought, but like the merchants, at least the small merchants that we've, worked with what like when they're online what are they searching for and where are they engaging and what communities are they engaging and i think that's why if we go back to our base camp first mailchimp analogy base camp like was they themselves were speaking to themselves right so they were pitching a product that basically built on top of like their own direct experiences. Whereas to date, like certainly I had experience in food prep and like, so had some relevant experience. But if we're going to go at, like, I guess it just depends on who we think our market is. But if we're going after like the people who are in the world making things, um, 
the caterers, farmer people who sell at farmers markets, those type of vendors. I wonder. Certainly, they go to like. Certainly, they've had some sort of pull has worked for them, right? Squarespace, Mailchimp, Weebly, um, GoDaddy are all pulling like super micro businesses to them to set up stores. Yeah, it is interesting because it, especially GoDaddy, who opens a GoDaddy store, it's mind blowing to me. Well, it's but we come across it. Well, I think it's because they do a really nice job actually when you buy the domain if you don't know anything about anything and you just see set up a store and it's right there when you've bought your, everyone thinks GoDaddy yeah. for domains. And so they get you, they get yeah. it. Which is already a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We didn't buy a bottle at uh, sendbottles.com is not on GoDaddy. No. The uh, simple. I always Bluehost kind of went to Bluehost for all yeah. my stuff. Um, Better than GoDaddy. Yeah. DN simple is probably the way to go though. Uh, anyway, I mean, I think that at some point there's a pull, but I think the flip side is into those, if you're like really going for SMBs is a push, just a more effective strategy. Like, is that how you're going to capture their attention? Right? Like the, so, so my, or a more aggressive pull strategy, meaning like an ad based strategy or a very like, well thought through like kind of targeted marketing strategy versus like a content person personality driven strategy. The advantage for Basecamp is that they were designers talking to designers for a product built for designers. That was a unique advantage for them. True. And there, a lot of their consumers were digital natives, right? So like they were selling to like a very highly conversant digital buyer. Very true. Whereas MailChimp, really was selling to like the local hair salon, right? I mean, I think that's been their bread and butter has been mm-hmm. the super local SMB. Um, I don't think it is anymore. I mean, I think they've really evolved and, you know, I think now they're really going after everyone, but when they did their MailChimp like campaign, which is really another one that was just the absolute brilliance, like sponsoring cereal, like how, I mean, a little bit of luck, a little bit of yeah. just, prescient uh prescient ad buy but like they did that you know it was a very it was a calculated move to gain awareness um and it was all about their brand and talking about their brand and how they things they do that are very clever around you know how they talk about what they do and who they help and then i think the biggest thing they had for them was just it was easy to send emails Uh, And they had a lot of awareness, but I think we're more in the MailChimp world. Um, In terms of audience. Right. Right. So I always, I guess that's where I'm so stuck on marketing is twofold. One, I'm not necessarily like, I don't live on, I'm not, I don't have an online persona. I haven't posted on Instagram in five years. Like I've never posted on, I haven't posted on Twitter in five years. I have a Facebook. I don't maintain it. Like, that's Meredith's domain. Um, um, and McAllen's domain, really. Yeah, McAllen is a superstar. Right, buddy? Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, it's like, 
that's why I feel like strategy and tactics and like more of like a plan and a brand and going, that's what I think of when I think of marketing and, and I think as something like, how is, how, like, how are we going to drive a ton of signups? I guess is the question with an inbound strategy and what's worked to date has just been viral loop. Like someone sees us on one meal prep company and they come and they, and they've been gotten an impression on us because we've sent an outbound email to them most likely. Like today, the client that came in today, she, I emailed her 16 months ago. She checked us out a year ago. Their business has grown. They're now looking for something to help them. She's also seen us on other people's sites. So it created this kind of like multiple impressions. And now she's quote inbound in a lot of ways. Um, but the first level of awareness was the outbound. And then after the outbound was seeing us somewhere else. So I just, I feel stuck on generating content. Cause I mean, I feel like it's kind of throwing darts into the air without a dartboard, you know, it's just like, okay, write about. That was very visual. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to write about text how GoGo Air uses text, like, cause that was a cool experience. Or I'm gonna write how Ernest uses text, cause that was a cool experience. Or I'm gonna write about this cool merchant experience. Or like, we're gonna write about e-commerce versus e-commerce. And like, all really interesting takes. Um, but they feel, to me, it feels like, I feel like a little out of control on it. Like, I don't know what, you know, where, where the, how you do it in a way that actually like generates results where sales is obviously like so much. It's just like 25 sales emails with this messaging to this target market that we like thought through. Awesome. They're interested demo set up their account, watch them use the product. Yeah. I mean, all that's true. I think the other challenge in terms of being, just noisier personality driven is where is the audience that we're seeking and finding it and not, and engaging with that audience in a way that's not self-promotional. Right. I mean, because even it's great. We, we can post this on Twitter. We can post it on indie hackers, this video even, but it's not relevant. What we're talking about right now isn't relevant to meal prep companies. Right. Would we like if we hopped in, even if there was a subreddit for local delivery services, which I've tried to find. Right. And I'm sure there's one. How do you engage with that community and provide content to it without coming in really hot? Right. <laughs> and saying, well, I just don't. Hey, everybody, look at us. Yeah. I, and I don't think, I don't, I look at all of our vendors. I don't think a single one of them is. I think they'd be looking at us to educate them. That was the interesting piece. Like, and maybe this is where I, this grab this resonates more with me as someone who like has likes to coach lacrosse and, and like it's gravitates more towards teaching versus like necessarily talking about myself. Um, I feel like, like bench and when Britt told us about bench and accounting, if you can teach people who aren't super savvy, right? They don't even understand like why does, you know, answering that question, well, what's wrong with my mobile site works just fine. And then we show them 
well, here the conversion rates on mobile are much lower than on desktop. Your mobile site is particularly bad. All mobiles built in a way that's really optimized for desktop with a hierarchy that doesn't make sense versus like we're all used to Instagram, like e-commerce should live on one page in a way, in the same way that Instagram was on one page and it should be scrollable. And the only click you should be making is adding your product to your cart, selecting your delivery location and checking out. Right. And I think Amazon's app actually probably does as good a job as any on in that, in doing that, uh, their mobile app. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my impression. But I feel like we can, these are the kinds of things where a local delivery person is looking for, they're looking to, for advice and how they make their business better. Um, you think so? Do you think they're looking for it? Or do you think they are, you know, I'm going to text everyone, 100 people order for me. Oh, Mary's missing. I'm going to text her. And I'm heads down and like, I know it works. Right. Uh, I think they're more likely start, they start off in A, but I think if they find something that's interesting on B, meaning like they're more likely to just be focused on the day to day because that's what we're all focused on, right? If a client wrote in right now and was like, the site's crashing, we kill this interview and go focus on that because that's the most important thing. I think that's a, the same analogy as Mary didn't order this week. I need that hundredth order in order for my business to thrive. So I'm going to focus on that. But if they're evaluating our software, I guess once they've landed on our site, if we can be an educational resource to help them, I think that's probably the most appealing content if you think about local delivery. Um, I think the hard part is like, how do we write content that would be appealing? I don't know if we have a great answer for that. Like look at, like I think Bench is a good example. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just makes me, I mean, this is the brilliance of Salesforce all the way back to Basecamp was marketing a product for graphic designers to graphic designers with a built-in graphic design audience. Um, that's the brilliant of Salesforce, the whole company, like the salespeople now can just be like, you don't believe me. Look at our market cap. Our whole company uses Salesforce and we sell Salesforce. Right. Um, that's, I mean, that's obviously our challenge. Like our product doesn't serve itself. We're selling software to someone who has a different business need than we do. So it's not recursive in that way. But I, I wonder if there are similarities we can find around the way we run our business or think about our business that, that local delivery people might be interested in. And maybe that's purely on the texting piece of here's how we think about text. And here's, I mean, in a genuine way, not just like a, I'm going to write some bullshit help article and post it and say, Oh, we're making content. People are going to find us. Right. Yeah, I think, I, I think content that works obviously has to be really genuine. And the two of us think a lot about, texting and what it means and how to connect and subscription fatigue and how to boost reorders and what it's like building a business with distracted consumers. I wonder if that type of content would resonate. I've been hesitant to write that type of stuff because in my mind, 
oh, that's geared toward investors and advisors and the Silicon Valley set, which I don't care about. Like they, right. it doesn't matter if they pay attention to us. None of them are buying our software. They have no right. support, obviously. But maybe they, these small businesses are interested in that and they are curious to learn about trends and where we think online software is headed. Part of that demo from the other day makes me think that we're just going through the stats of mobile conversion. Oh, mobile conversion is one quarter of desktop. We're out to solve that problem. She was totally bought in on that and said she noticed the same thing. Right. Well, I, I think, and so even writing a site, an article about DN Simple, why you should use DN Simple as a place to buy your domain name is a helpful article for someone who is starting a business and thinking about buying a domain. Yeah, I've had, true. I mean, I don't know if you have this, like I have so many friends who I'm their default guy when it's time to start. A My dad yesterday called me. <laughs> I need a new domain name. We already bought it on GoDaddy. So I had a meltdown. Right. Please tell me that's not true. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but like, think about how many of your friends, like how many of your friends who are starting a business or want to start a business I mean, I, you probably get this more than I do. I mean, you probably get a text every third day, like, I need to build a website. Help. Yeah, this guy um, at our high school reunion, Peter, who's hilarious, at our previous high school reunion was joking around because everyone found out I made apps. And jokes like, everyone's like, hey, Shriver, I've got an app idea. Let's talk. <laughs> it's really great. It's a million dollar idea. Yeah. So he kept coming up to me all this past time being like, yo, Shriver, I got a great app idea. We need to talk. <laughs> That's the story of my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can only imagine, right? And so like, I think there's something to be said for the types of people that use our product are people who want to start and grow businesses. Whether those are developers, like, independent developers or whether that is more likely like a local delivery person. Um, and writing content that's helpful for them. And that can be like things we understand and know about. It's like not a bad thing. You know, if we wrote an article called why you should buy your domain on Dion simple. I don't think, I think that's helpful in some respects. Um, yeah. But I think we're both stuck in this idea of if we're going to push content, like, does it feel, does it not feel good? Um, I have that problem in general when writing anything. Uh, so yeah, published on the internet. I mean, I don't have it when I'm writing a speech or like a toast at a wedding. I have no problem, but yeah. Cause you can see the audience. Right. And it's like, there's a defined outcome I'm going for. Yeah. No, I don't, I mean, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we've talked about this. I, yeah, it's, uh, it's not natural. I hope though that vulnerability is obviously really important. It's one of my favorite qualities. I hope that as we become, as we gain more confidence, as we have in our business, in what we've built and how big we've become that that gives us the ability to be more vulnerable. 
I think that I, at least I've noticed this with myself is like when you don't have a stump to stand on, you, you're more mimicking the crowd. It's like, right. Oh, well, let, is this what someone who's built a big business would do? Sure. No. Okay. Then I'm not going to do it. Right. But that's not you. Cause you haven't built that business yet. So, but what do you need to do? Um, like Tim Cook isn't going to go rogue on Twitter and like start blowing people up. Elon Musk does that. I guess it works really well. Like they don't pay for a dime in advertising, but I mean that, but I, I do, I've noticed this as we've grown our business and myself, um, having more confidence to say like, Oh, that worked for us. Oh, that didn't work for us. I've now naturally found more of a voice of things that I've always believed, but didn't feel like I had the authority to say. Right. And so hopefully as we, we've reached this point and hopefully as we keep growing, instead of retreating behind a wall, we can be more vulnerable than less. That's been my biggest struggle in starting to write a hundred percent. So it doesn't solve the problem of what yeah. it's about though. Cause it's yeah. still just throwing spaghetti well, on a wall. I feel like you're, in your mind, marketing is more just as a as in your mind, marketing is content production across all all channels. And or, or I get I shouldn't say marketing. I should say generating an inbound strategy starts with content and cleaning up our splash page. I think is kind of the, the feeling, at least that's been my feeling till now. And what have we tried? We tried ads half-assed, but we tried them. Did we try ads? Yeah, we tried them. I tried, I, I started pushing. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, we just didn't do it. Like we didn't do it well. Yeah. I don't, I really don't know what I'm doing when it comes to AdWords and right. Facebook ads. Yeah, I mean, obviously me neither. Um, so there's ads, there's content, there's the web, and then there's what happens when somebody signs up. And that's probably the fourth piece, probably the less, the, if we're just talking about the funnel, it's like, okay, can, they're basically activated at that point. So how do we acquire them? Kind of close the deal. But I think there's, there's, and this is why I think it might be worthwhile to like, hire someone like, you know, who has 10 years of marketing experience to at least for even just a brainstorm like this, it's like, what should we even be doing? I feel like there's a little bit of like, well, we could write content, but what are we going to write about? You know? And then like the marketer will probably say like, Oh, you should write about text. And like, we give us a bunch of like generic stuff to write about. I think that's my hesitation with it. Right. But I think you're, brushing it off, maybe underestimating the power of writing all that stuff. Like you mm-hmm. sent me that avocado article yesterday. You forwarded it to me. I don't know if the intention was this is not good content or this is bad content. I was like, it's pretty like average. You didn't tell me anything. Um, but I can't thing, remember what my thought was when I sent it. It was I, like some. I, I remember was, the email, but the email was, like, was oh, yeah. I need to forward this to Andy. 
I don't remember why. <laughs> the email was we've served it. We've um, we have surveyed two thousand customers, and they say that they prefer text. Text is their best channel. But to someone like that wine company we spoke to a few months ago, like maybe that's an impressive email because like they don't think about text all day long, and so they're like, oh, like text is like the best channel. Yeah. Like. And 2,000 people validated that in the survey. Yeah. Like, yeah, you a, don't know what you know. Right. Um, and so, well, to us, like, I bet we could look at, I mean, on the positive side of mimicry, like, we could go and look at these companies we've been talking about and literally look at how they post content and what they do for marketing and mimic them. Right. Um, I think it's trying to understand, like, what I do think it'd be worthwhile to have a strategy, even though I think in a way that would feel contrived. Um, but I do think it'd be worthwhile to have like a, a full on, like here's a strategy that we're going to execute on, you know, and defines the role and what we're trying to do here. Um, for sure, my hesitations and they are, ill-formed and projections and i need to have a clean open mind about this but in my mind the traditional marketer is a buzzword filled seo bag right you know of just oh we need to write about text it's like obviously you know like i understand how seo works <laughs> and but the, none of this stuff is compelling and to me building a real audience, people who are genuinely interested in us is far more powerful. Now, maybe that's wrong. Maybe I underestimate the game of Google and it's all about just building keywords and climbing the rankings. Um, We're talking about totally different things here. I don't think I, we are. I, 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 I mean, maybe we are, but I, 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 I think you're calling me out for being hesitant about having like a uniform content strategy and my, like my pushback against that internally, which I think is flawed is that I, I'm like, ah, it's not raw or real, these marketers. And so right. they charge a big price to just do a bullshit job. And well, I'm, I'm more thinking like take Meredith as an example yeah. and what she's done for her company and go to their site and look at what they've done. To me, I see that and I'm like, that's really impressive. They have case studies, they have a blog, they have a strategy, they have, they've got a fantastic Instagram, like it's really good content. They have a thousand or many more, maybe two or 3,000 followers. They've really been yeah. building it. Like, yeah, I mean, they have a, oh, 909 followers. Like they only have 30 posts. Like, and it feels very... Ours doesn't have to be this way, but like, it feels like, okay, this is a, this is a company that has it together. And the reason they can do that is they have a lot more funding than we do. Um, and they have someone whose whole job it is, was to like rebuild that site and to write the content and to spend hours a day in HubSpot optimizing. And she then has a consultant who powers all of their ads. Um, and they have a 23 person team. So it's like a very different, 
it's a very different thing, but I guess that's what's overwhelming for me. It's because like I see, I see what Meredith does and how she's built an entire marketing strategy for that company. And I'm like, in a way, I'm like, how do we do the same? My, my mental framework is like, should we try and do the same thing? So I think, you know, starting this conversation, like I want to hire an agency to rebuild our site or I want to spend money on ads or whatever. In my mind, it's not projecting that we should hire someone who's like going to convince us to write a bunch of SEO, but like basically just copycatting what I've seen Meredith do at Orga, um, which is just put together, you know, a nice website and good content and a really good help center and, you know, it's just all kind of there in one place and it feels cohesive. Um, I think Basecamp has that too. It's just in their own way. Oh yeah, they're very organized. Right. And I think this is ultimately our divide because I, I, I'm with you that I hear all of that and I feel that feels very heavy and overwhelming. Right. And so it's like, ah, like we can't do all of that. So what can we do that's, that's, we can actually do right because that seems insurmountable with the two of us and the fact that ultimately like you do need to keep selling right like you're not just going to stop the question is really do we hire another salesperson and then i need to be programming and chelsea's got her hands full with success it's like it's not like we can just peace out and focus on this so like the reality is we can't do all of that I don't mean to be overly negative. No, right? but it's like, it's overwhelming. <laughs> I, and I and, think and, we have the financial resources to do it. Right. I mean, I, you know, and is that where we want to spend the money? And that's why I said right. earlier, it's a shame we spent that money on something we're not using right now. Yeah. Cause it'd be nice to, I'd love to have that money to spend on this problem. I'm not trying to hire it away as much as just saying like you and I can't do it both like I'm not a designer, right? So we would need to have a designer to help us put this together and have a blog that's like looks presentable, right? Um, but it's, I think it's more just a matter of attention. If you and I just said every day for the first three hours of the day, we're going to sit and work on marketing together. We're going to open up Zoom and work on marketing and pick a task for the day that revolves around whether it's writing a blog picking three blog post ideas and then coming back and posting them. I think we could develop a flywheel pretty quickly. So I, I actually think the biggest issue is our attention. Yeah. And at least that's solvable. Like we could choose to every day. It's like having a friend you go to the gym with, like literally like force each other to spend an hour or two on market, whatever we want to deem marketing. Or that's just con like whatever that's just our blog to start. Yeah. I think we need to. I think that I think that's where I, I'm viewing I'm viewing it through that window of how do we um, it's guerrilla warfare. Like what can I actually do today that's gonna move things forward? And how can we make that repeatable? How can I do that every day or a few times a week to get things moving? And that's where I, I, that's where I am a little bit not stuck, but it's, I mean, yeah, it's 
to your point, our blog doesn't look great. So there's not a huge motivation to post there. It's like, no one's going to see it. It's kind of ugly. It's hard to post. It's a WordPress site. We should fix that in some way. And no, we've been in a holding pattern because where are we going to use HubSpot? What's our CRM? Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I shy, I'm shying away from the big overarching task of, man, we have to do all of that. We need the case studies, the blog, the SEO content. Right. And I'm more thinking of like, what's something that we find compelling that we can start posting right into the black void. And to your point, should we do that? Because is that ever going to matter? Like, right. Is it just shouting into blackness? So my take on what you just said though, is like, cause we, I, my first company we did do, we did it the right way. You know, granted we had raised an angel round, but like we hired an agency and we built a brand and we had the brand and it looked good. And we had to, we were pitching to financial services firms, but for what was then like, we, we, we didn't spend that much money, but like we had good materials and we had the shine and we looked really good. Um, and so I don't view it as insurmountable as much as just a resources problem. Like, I think we could easily, like even Ross was telling me about the agency they worked with out of Charleston. Like, I think for 10 to $20,000, like, we could solve all of these problems, even less. Like, I think we could have someone build us a beautiful blog and a beautiful site. And I think our market, our, help us figure out our messaging. I mean, I d even did it with South Fork, right? Like, South Fork had, from a shine perspective, because that's just like, you guys actually built us like something that looked much bigger than what we were. And all I had was a, you know, $50,000 investment. It wasn't like, and then my own money I put into it. Now that company was a big fat zero. So who's <laughs> you know, right. It led to great things, but like, you know, I think that I think it's more about just saying it's not just going to be, if it's just me, you and Chelsea. Yeah. It's not, I don't think it's, I don't even think we have the skills to do the things we're talking about. I, mean, I think we have the skills to talk to people, to try to find the community and to write stuff that's interesting to us. To sure. me, that all seems that's doable. better than spending money on, in my biased view, would at least in the beginning be like an inauthentic SEO trick. I understand redoing the splash page, obviously. Like I really want to do that. But you don't think a, a website that looks like Meredith's website would help? No, I'm embarrassed by our website. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm not talking about that. I'm fully on board. Right. I think we both are of making and, a better. And then someone game. like Meredith's colleague Emily, who has deep experience in content, coming on and really helping us write, helping us write content. Who's like, you know, who who's, I mean, you know her background. Like, she really gets content. And I, someone like that coming on and being like, guys, like, let me help you hone your voice. I don't, I mean, I don't see how that would be if we had the one to spend the money, like it might not feel good at first, but I think it could be really helpful. You're painting a beautiful picture and I do, I buy that. The one thing though, that's like, if we're timid about it, I guess the challenge to me 
or to us is we don't have to pay money for that piece of it. Like when, when I hear Emily can write beautiful content for us, I should be doing that every day for 30 minutes. Right. That should be table stakes about our business in my mind, like us telling our story. And I think that would help us find our voice too. And then it would be even easier for someone like Emily to come in yeah. and boost the content. I personally just don't think I'm as good as a Meredith or an Emily. Like I, I don't, I just, I think I'm a great writer, like, but I don't think I, I personally, and I'm not saying that about you, but I don't think I have the skills that a really talented marketer has. Like Meredith took our freaking dog and built a 5,000 person Instagram with her wit and her ability to communicate and the types of pictures she took. And like, that is just like beyond my, what I can do. Like that is not, it's not in me. Like that's not, I think you're, I think you're selling yourself short. Okay. Well, I appreciate that, but I just don't sure. Yeah. Maybe I could, but like, it's not at least not, I mean, I, what Meredith, what Meredith has done with McAllen is nothing short of a, (laughs) but I think if you started posting dad gym pics and you doing squats and hashtag like meal prep Sunday, I feel confident about that, but that's something that I'm really interested in. Right. That, and that's like, that's, that's actually the one thing I've thought, like if I could build like an online content business, that would be what I would write about. I'd be writing about the whoop. We should write that down. We, that's another thing that all of our clients would be into. That's a similar, that's a commonality. It seems between us, the way that we eat and think about food, the way that you specifically think about exercise and diet, like that's what most of our businesses are trying to help people with. If I were to push you to write about one thing, like ignore our business, even posting weekly updates about in a way that is vulnerable enough that you're willing to do it, right? About like the whoop, how you're working out, what you're eating. Yeah. I think that would really humanize us. Yeah. And that's what I'm driving to. It's like I'm hesitant to hire a writer or a content person without us trying to do it first. That's fair. And maybe the insight there, because that's the best, that's the most comfortable I felt in this entire conversation, because that's the only thing I'd feel, at least today, because it's so ingrained in my habits and something that's so authentic to me. It's like being an athlete, working out, training for events, pushing myself hard. Like those are all really things that are part of my fabric as a person. And I really, not even that, but I just enjoy it so much. Um, I would feel most comfortable, not in the content of bottle, but in the content of just what I would talk about. That's where I would feel most comfortable. But I still do have a hesitation. Like, what do I have to say? You know, but that's neither here nor there. I think that's just a self-conscious thing. Most people say nothing. It's just duck face. It's a million followers. Amazing. That's why I'm not. I, I, I mean, back to the, the small win yesterday of people finding my article. Shocking. But I tell myself over and over again, who wants to subscribe to my blog and listen to me? What right. do I have to say? You and I have talked about that. I've talked about it with MacArthur on the phone because he's trying to blog more. And the comforting thing, though, is like, well, if the answer is nobody, then nobody. Nobody's going to subscribe. That's fine. But the reality is people do. It's mind blowing to me how many, I, I got 
I think 18, no more than that, like 22 subscribers to my blog yesterday. Did you get email subscribers or? I got 22 email subscribers and 12 to 15 tech subscribers on second breakfast and mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing to me. People in Australia. Like How many uniques Canada. came to your site? Do you know? Did you look at that? Uh, it was 4,500. Wow. But I think Google Analytics runs a little bit behind. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. I can, here, I can share my screen actually. Um, here were three people on the site right now. This peaked at 180 yesterday. That what crashed your blogging software? Yeah. Yeah. The hacker news hug. And I emailed, um, I saw your comments back and forth with him on the, yeah, that guy who runs this blogging software is so nice. And he's always gotten back to me within three minutes of me emailing him and he had already fixed the problem. It's pretty amazing. Wow. So yes, the Hacker News sent 7,500 page views, 6,600 uniques. Wow. So of the 6,600. 0.3%. Yeah. Signed up. Well, that's not, that's unique page views. Let's look at unique users. Uh, 5,200. So almost half a percent of people subscribed. It's pretty good. That's wild. Although, right? It's like, wow, you have to reach thousands of people to get a subscriber. But again, it's like half a percent of people that landed there wanted to sign up for a subscription. Like that's, again, a bias of mine. I unsubscribe from everything or I try to because I'd rather think about it and go to it. I'm rethinking this because I'm trying to have more conversations with more people. That's a theme at the moment for me, but yeah, mind blowing that that many people would sign up. And I just sense it's the same. It's the same with you talking about working out, you've learned so much by doing so much research. And so you don't find it interesting because you know it. So you don't know what you know. And I feel the same way about us with bottle. I think there's a lot we could post that people would find interesting if it's authentic, but that's the key. It has to be. And this is a bias of mine again, to not be a broken record, but I just feel I don't, I am not, comp- I'm not drawn toward marketing articles, but I think we're all drawn to stories and authenticity and like, Hey, here are the two founders and here they are talking about a way that they improved the product or a way that right. the two of them eat lunch or right. whatever. So I think you're right in one way. And that I think it's fun to have stories and it's fun to have a point of view and like writing about, my whoop experience and how I'm trading for the vertical kilometer are all really cool for brand building. I think would really appeal to a lot of people on the flip side, the demo we did yesterday 
I think for her, like how text performs and how to optimize your mobile conversions and like a case study about a business that's used us and how they were successful and like kind of more the data that um, Suman had kind of put together, like more analytical consulting like data on the flip side, like I do think is powerful from a, a sales perspective. Um, and I, th I think the equivalent is for you as like a developer reading the develop, reading the docs and getting a sense of how the product works is a lot of times like the first place you go to understand something. Yeah. I think for a non-technical person, the first place they might go to understand something or, or is the content. It's like, mm -hmm. why should I use this? It doesn't like, so justifying that. And in that sense, I do think that marketing technology and educate, I'll call it education is important. Yeah. I'll buy that. It's you a know, good analogy. so I think that's the only, you know, I think that's what in the avocado email example, like to us, that's like, Oh, what kind of eye roll? Like, of course, text is the preferred channel in the survey you did. And like, but I think there's a lot of people that are like text marketing, you know, I mean, how many, how many brands are doing that? Like, it's still not a thing. It's not a thing for a lot of reasons. Um, it's becoming more and more prevalent and that's not what we're trying to do necessarily. Yeah. But, um, and I don't think it's kind of, but I think it can have power and, and you know, it's interesting, like MailChimp, I don't think did that particularly well. They have guides. They were so product driven, you know, I think ultimately like their value prop was pretty easy. You need to send emails to your customers. And so it was more about getting in and learning how to send an email newsletter. Um, Basecamp's pretty human, but they also have like pretty good, pretty good justification of why you should use their product. They just have a strong point of view. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we should come up with some. From my view, some some ways that we can just start creating more content and try to be consistent about it and see where that goes. And then also come up with things that, you know, areas we want to focus on or spend money on to improve and to think about from a more strategic level, more than just um, making content. Because I, I think it's worthy of thinking about both. At least I, I feel a real push to start posting consistently and figuring out a system to make that happen. For me personally, the only way I think this is going to happen is if you and I have a standing call every single day where we talk about it. Talk about content. Where it's like literally 30, we're going to spend 30 minutes. And even if it's like, hey, I know what I'm writing today. Here's what I'm writing. Cool. Go write. Sounds great. Right. Or, hey, I wrote this last night. Did you read it in Basecamp? I'm going to post it. What do you think? I think the act, just like going to the gym, the act of doing it consistently will one, be annoying at first. It'll probably get frustrating, but I think it'll also push us. And if that's our, you know, if our hesitation or problem is resource constraint, because the only way I think, because I think we've tried enough to say like, oh, we're going to do it. We're going to write blogs. We're going to, you know, I only way we do it is 
if we're spending time every single day. It has to be daily for me. Definitely. Otherwise it's not going to happen. And I think like, I know content production happens by yourself, you know, like for me, the only way it would really happen is if like I have dedicated time, probably first thing in the morning, if we're just talking about writing to write and collect my thoughts. Yeah. I've actually the last four days started journaling. Awesome. First time in my life. I wish I had brain. I'm literally just writing what happened the day before, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no, there's that's no, awesome. in, there's no insight. That's a great step. Yeah. Right? But I know for me that that's the only way that if we're talking about pure writing, that's the only way writing is going to happen. Yeah. I think the even more realistic way that we're going to have a focus on marketing and inbound is if every day you and I talk about it. That's just my thought. I mean, even if it's five minutes, if it's, it doesn't have to be on the calendar, but it's like, Let's talk about marketing today because our awareness of it is going to make it real. Yeah. So do you agree with that? Do you want to do that? Like what's your, I'm on board. I'm on board. Yeah. I think process goals do it every day. So if I start hitting you with a link being like marketing time, I personally would prefer to do, I think walk in the morning is great for me. Part of it. I don't want to give up the whole walk. Whatever, whatever works um, for you. So that's tough because um, the time I leave isn't necessarily the same every day. So that makes it harder for you. I don't care. Uh, I mean, just tell me, just message me when you're leaving and say I'm yeah. walking. If it works, it works. If yeah. Works, yeah, that's true. We can start there. I mean, um, I also don't want to like force you to take time that's productive in other ways. But... No, it's not. I mean, I think this morning as an example, I don't know what it is with me and podcasts. I think it's the same reason I don't like TV that my mind wanders and and I've lost my place. And now they're talking about something that, you know, um, I'm not up to speed anymore. And this morning as an example, I was listening to Alex Friedman's AI podcast, which I really like. He's had amazing guests on it and he had Donald Knuth, who's a legendary computer scientist, wrote the art of computer programming. Um, and they were talking about, uh, they were talking about how, at least in Donald Knuth's day, there were studies that 2% of the population was particularly <laughs> geeky or particularly, and the way he defined it was particularly suited to traverse levels of um, abstraction whatever that means. So then that statement got my mind wandering and he, he even hedged a statement around, you know, I, that's probably a different percentage today because people's upbringing is different and our world is different and we're more oriented toward computers. Anyway, this whole, it spun me down a whole path. Yeah. By the time I came back to it, they were talking about something else. And then I had to reverse. I reversed over the same segment. The interesting thing is the same comment from, Knuth sent me down a rabbit hole three times in a row and I just couldn't get it. Yeah. I had to like keep reversing to try to, (laughs) to try to pay attention. Um, This is why I like, I like books more than podcasts. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. The, the walk-in. So I'm not, I'm not doing anything productive. I'm not, it's not like, Oh, I listen to a podcast on the walk-in and that's my time to do that. Right. Um, I would like to have part of the walk as just 
me alone in my own head, but yeah, I'm not doing I mean, anything else otherwise. Yeah. I'm even thinking like time where it's like even more like zoom, Google drive open, bulleting out thoughts on what one of us could write for the day. What should be the, what would be a good Instagram post? Like forcing ourselves to have the conversation with each other and, and perhaps it's, it's, it's like having an editor. Perhaps it's a, re, it's a rewrite or an evaluation of what was written the day before. Um, but I think, you know, if we're going to commit to content, I think it's worth having the conversation every day. Like what are, what's, what's being put out in the world? I mean, I think Chelsea would kill for us to give her a content calendar. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason not to involve her in this conversation, by the way. No, none. None. She, she could probably help us quite a bit. So, um, all right. So is the next step here to figure out a way to, I think the biggest thing is bringing, I guess we're going to call it marketing to the front of the conversation every day. Yeah. If we can pick one thing, someone on the team is going to do towards marketing that day. Yeah. And I think, I mean, in my mind, this is the gorilla side of it. This is the us writing and it would please me to see us focus on this. But if you, I'm kind of looking to you to be, okay, this is what we need from a case study from like a more traditional or what you think. I mean, it's not even like we have to be right. But from a traditional right. marketing, this is what we need. I think that's an additional conversation. Like, okay. I don't think this supplants that as much as it's a personal itch for me of like, man, it, I would really love for us to develop our voice and talk about it. But I don't want that to replace, like, I think everything you've said is true. I think we are more like MailChimp and base, than Basecamp and Shopify. And like, we do need more of a traditional help article guide like inbound advertising strategy to really be successful. So I don't want to, I don't want to let that go and just be like, Oh, well we're talking about the food we eat and we're opinionated. So that (laughs) solves the problem, but it's at least one of the two problems, I think. Right. But you have a lot of ideas that hit the, the first more, what I would call like more growth driven strategy piece, which is like, when you write, like, I'm going to record a, a, a video today that demonstrates, like, how bad mobile ordering is on this website. Granted, we don't necessarily want to call all websites out. But, like, to me, that's, like, the first half of being, like, that's more traditional marketing because you're starting a point, like, that you're developing a narrative. Yeah, true. You know? So I think that a lot of this is, like, even if we're just – journaling on our blog right now for the sake of putting content down eventually we're going to have to codify it so we can try now we can try or we can try and mix the two together um you know my preference would be to have something that's more traditional looking because i think that's more effective than what we have today um but that might not be right i mean I, I don't know. I want to look at Basecamp. I want to look at, I want to go back and look at MailChimp. I want to look at Shopify. I mean, Shopify is super commercial. 
you know, like their stuff is totally geared towards getting you to sign up and converting you. Um, yeah. I don't know. No. I will tell you that like close.com is a great example of, of a business that the software is table stakes. Good. As Salesforce is calling me right now. Like, <laughs> their software is not table stakes. Good. Yeah. Um, their, their, their stuff is not good. And, you know, close this stuff is good. And they have really good content about how you sell better. And I think that's appealing. Like their stuff I think is good. So I think that's the key. I guess that's part of it to me. It's like for someone who's potentially going to be out, like I care so much about growing our revenue. Like that yeah. to me makes me feel really good to grow our revenue. The same. Um, and if close can give me an advantage in doing that, that gets me super excited. And if they have content that helps me become a better salesperson, then that's great too. Um, I think maybe we should find the equivalent for marketing and try and think about like, I, I just feel like I don't know enough about this. Like, I feel like I'm kind of an amateur when it comes to building, a, creating a following for bottle. But it's something I'd like to be really, really good at personally. I think, I mean, I hear that and I'm just, I think we've done harder things. No offense to marketers. It's like everyone with a following started as an amateur. They're all where we are now. Yeah. It's not like any, no one can be handed an audience. It's the one thing that can't be passed down. Well, there's more things that, that can't be passed down, but. But being a really good growth marketer, I guess, is like, like an Andrew Chen, you know, who's now a partner in Andreessen, like that's really hard to do. Or like a Sean Ellis, like these guys who have like built reputations, like really being thought leaders of like brands that have gone viral so quickly. Um, that is a challenging thing to do. Probably. I probably don't give them enough credit, but in my mind, we can figure it out. I'm not as intimidated by that as I am by other other challenges that we face. Yeah. I, mean, I just, I feel like right now our biggest challenge, honestly, is proving that we can get people to use our product more. Mm -hmm. New new markets to use our product. Right. That's a challenge. That's, I think, a harder challenge than getting people to pay attention to you. Yes, except that at least in that one, we have more control over the input, right? Like I can, I know I can keep emailing the small businesses that demo farmers markets of the world and we can keep talking to them and keep hammering it until we figure out like, like the call the other day with that customer discovery, that was so valuable to like see mobile click like that. And maybe that's just one bad data point, but it just struck me as like, no, this is like the selling point. Like this is what we should be hammering on. Right. All right.